You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Today, we'll be talking about a really hot topic right now, reopening your office after COVID. So full disclosure, when um, Melissa and I started talking about doing this episode, um, you know, as you know, Melissa's a practitioner, owns her own group practice, um, and I work with mental health practitioners. This is a topic that is a hot topic. It's being discussed actively among people um, in our communities um, right now. Um, and so we really felt that this was timely and needed podcast to have. Um, so to have. What I think is ironic is that you might be listening to this and it could be six months down the road from now. And circumstances of the way it is today when we're recording the podcast could be completely different from the, when you're actually listening to it. Um, and that's something I want to just make a quick kind of disclosure, quick point to you, is that this is a topic that is going to be ever-changing. The reality is is that there is nobody alive right now who has lived through a pandemic prior to this. The 1918 flu, there is nobody alive who was, who was alive for that. So we are in unprecedented times, um, it goes without saying. Um, so there, like I said, there's a possibility that down the line, what we're talking about today um, and things you be, should be taking into consideration, things that you should be doing, um, may need to be updated. Uh, it is possible that even down the line, we might need to do another podcast where we cover what to do if things start to close back up. I don't know if they will or not. But that's one thing I just want to kind of point to you guys that as you're listening to this guidance we're giving you here, it applies for today, might become irrelevant later on. Yeah. And also keeping in mind that while some people are living in states that are reopening, there are some of you who are listening from places where reopening might not be happening yet. you're living in a place where the Delta variant is going strong, this just might be something that you can use later on. Um, But we hope it'll be helpful. Nonetheless, we know that there's a lot of conversation around this topic right now. Yeah. And and to your point about the Delta variant and the different parts of the country, I think that this always comes back to the same point. And the ultimate underlying point here is, is that it is your responsibility as a practitioner to know what your jurisdictions, your region, your local localities rules are, what are the rules that are in effect right now, um, and developing your policies and your procedures and how you're going to operate and reopen according to what the existing rules are, because it may be different from one state or even one county to another. For example, in Maryland right now, as of July 1st, the governor has ordered that the, the state is the mask mandates is over. But I know that at least one county in LA, for example, has required that masks are still required in the public space area. So it's going to depend and you're going to have to make sure you know what those are. Yeah. So we know that there are some practices that have continued in-person sessions throughout the entire pandemic. So today's episode is primarily for those people who have moved completely online and are now thinking about returning to the office. Some of the primary concerns about returning, of course, are keeping yourself, your clients, and any clinicians or staff who work at your office safe. So today we're going to be talking about some steps you can take to prepare for returning to the office. 
you know, and one of the, the the initial things to to be aware of to to Moses' point is that if you're going to reopen your office, you do have an obligation to create a safe working environment for your staff, um, for your clients to come in, and that's why this is so important. As with everything else we've covered before, these are the type of things that you need to put in writing. Right? You need to develop some sort of procedure and policies. You know, if it's just you and you alone in your practice. Um, well, then you know how to generally you might want to run it. But if you have anyone else working with you or for you, um, that's why you need to have it written down. So everyone is on the same page about what the rules of the game are. What are the procedures we're going to be following now that we're going to be letting clients back into the office? Yeah, um, absolutely. And even if you are a solo practitioner working in your own private practice, it's also really important to make sure that you're communicating information to your clients in writing. They need to know what is the plan when we return to the office? What are the safety measures being taken? What are the expectations on their end? Are they allowed to wait in the waiting room? Are they not? And so they need to know what the plan is, what the expectations are on their end, and they need to know what you're going to do to help protect them in terms of your behalf. One of the first parts of the discussion that I have when, when I'm holding a discussion with a practitioner about this is, you know, what are the things I need to be doing? Well, as always, it's going to depend on your comfort, you know, your, your own uh, comfort. Um, it's going to depend on what your local rules are. So um, if there's no mask rules in place for your particular area, um, then you need to consider, well, what is the best practice here? Okay. You also need to consider if you're reopening, who's coming into your office? And that's really important. If you are somebody who does work with older elderly citizens or young children who are particularly vulnerable to illness or exposure to, to COVID um, or other illnesses, for example, or um, people who may not be able to necessarily get a vaccine. Um, that's something you need to be aware of and thinking about. It's particularly if you're going to have other people come in the office who may be not vaccinated. Okay. So if your jurisdiction is one that does not require masks, right? If it does, of course, then you'll, you'll have to wear a mask. But if it doesn't, that's where you need to figure out what are the rules of engagement I want to do here. If you have young children coming into the office, they probably should be wearing masks anyway. Um, because as of right now, children under 12 and under, there's no vaccine for them. You don't know right off the bat whether or not someone's been vaccinated or not. And we're going to hold a future podcast about vaccines. And we'll, we'll go more de in depth on that issue. But the point is, is that you need to be going into consider taking into consideration that if you're going to have people in your office, you're likely going to have kids. If you're seeing them, you're likely going to have people who are not vaccinated who could expose the kids. So you're going to want people who are not vaccinated to be wearing masks. Potentially, you're going to want kids wearing masks. Um, one of the other things you could put in place is you can also limit the number of people you have at any time in your waiting room. Pre-COVID, it would not have been unusual to have a packed waiting room, um, particularly with how long wait lists are for people receiving mental health treatment. There was an urgent need to, to make sure people gain treatment. Now, I think you need to be a little bit more careful about how you schedule out or your clinicians schedule out your appointments so that you try to stagger it better so you have less people in the office at one time. You want to make sure that there is some sort of policy procedures in place for how is the staff going to handle cleanliness and, and uh, general hygiene. I've seen a lot of practices put implement policies where they say, you know, if you're a clinician, you come in the office, you wipe down your desk, wash your hands, sanitize, 
you know, you see your clients and after each client you do that, you, you rinse, repeat, right? Um, before you leave for the end of the day, you make sure your workspace is clean, you wipe it down, you sanitize, you do that type of thing. Uh, if you're seeing someone who's not vaccinated or if you yourself are not vaccinated and you're seeing a client you or, or your clinician is not vaccinated, you encourage them to potentially consider wearing a mask if they're going to be in a closed door office, particularly if it's with a kid, of course, a child, of course. Whether or not you're three feet or six feet apart, again, that's up to you, but you can specify that in your policies as well. You really want to specify the clients that they take ownership. Now, previously, before mask mandates were lifted, when there were still quarantine orders in place for many places, including Maryland, one of the very common things that was done was people would take temperature checks. And they had all sorts of guidelines in place, like if you've been sick in the last seven days or 14 days, you have these symptoms, please call us. Some of that I think should still apply even if there's no quarantine orders in place. For example, you should ask clients that if you, in the last 48 hours before your appointment, have any sort of illness, fever, anything that would indicate like flu-like symptoms or, or symptoms of COVID. And, and um, if you go on the, um, the CDC's website, they do have a list of those symptoms that are generally linked to COVID. Um, you ask clients to please call ahead and let you know. And, it, and at that point, you can make a determination with them whether or not they should come in the office for therapy. Because if you are practicing this teletherapy, and most practices are, the option to do teletherapy for that session just to make sure that person, like say two weeks later is, is fine, that's an option, right? You can have that discussion with them. Um, but you really want to encourage clients to self-report. I know a lot of practices do have provisions that if you miss or cancel an appointment within less than 24 hours, for example, 48 hours, you may charge a fee. You may want to consider that in this particular case, if a client calls in and says, my son is not feeling well, or I'm not feeling well, or my husband has come down with some sort of illness, we're not sure what it is, that you say, you know what, we're not going to charge you a fee for having to reschedule this appointment. You know, we're not going to, uh, uh, you know, if you have to cancel this appointment, we're not going to charge you a fee in this case. So you create an exception for illness. And the good thing about telehealth now is that there's an alternative now, right? Like Correct. there's a healthy and safe alternative. So if someone mm -hmm. is sick, or someone else in the home is sick and it doesn't sound wise to come into the office, telehealth is an option. So someone might have a little cold and they feel good enough to be in the session. Telehealth is still an alternative that can be used and it keeps everybody safe. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that that's the role that teletherapy, telehealth is going to play going forward. Um, what the pandemic has proved, and I think we've talked about this on this podcast before, is that teletherapy, telehealth is a very viable option. Um, it does work quite well. There are some who would say for at least some clients, it doesn't work as well as in person, and that's fine. But in a pinch, if someone needs to have a therapy appointment and they're not feeling well, the teletherapy would work to substitute for that period. Your goal here is to minimize exposure. So even if someone ends up not being sick, not getting COVID or not getting the flu, just by the fact they're not feeling well that day, it's better to have them stay home if possible than come in and let them come back in a month, the next session, you know, um, if it's clinically appropriate to when they're feeling better because you're minimizing exposure. That's the goal here. And also, as you're thinking about your own office's policies, making sure that, you know, you can also think about 
things that you've seen larger industries or other industries do during the pandemic, right? Like I'm thinking about other organizations, larger companies who have their employees working from home. Mm -hmm. But if for some reason they have to go to the office, they have to notify someone that they're coming on in. They have to fill out a form confirming that they're well and um, kind of all those things Mm -hmm. that Dan just talked about. And so, or even if you've been to see your own doctor or a dentist during the pandemic, you likely had to fill out a form. Maybe they sent you a text and you had Mm -hmm. to answer some questions confirming that you haven't been sick like the day of your appointment. And so also just thinking about things that you've seen other companies or other businesses do during the pandemic and thinking about ways that that might be helpful or applicable to your own office. Yeah, and that's a great point. And so a lot of these policies regarding clients and you know alerting you if they're ill or things like that apply to can be applied to your own staff as well, right? You should have a policy place that says, look, and, and most practices do have some sort of illness policy, but now it's critical. In this case, it's critical that, hey, if you're under the weather, if you wake up with a fever or really feel like you have symptoms that would be indicative of like having the flu or virus or something, you know, let us know. And because we have the capability to let you work from home now, you know, if you normally come in the office, we'll, we'll make a judgment call and we'll make a determination if we should have you stay home or not, right? Same is true if someone's sick. If someone's at work and all of a sudden they say, I really don't feel well, here's my symptoms. In some ways, it's better to let them leave, go home and work from home at that point than keep them in the office. You're minimizing exposure. That's your goal here, right? For employees or staff who are coming in office regularly, regularly, if I can speak, it'd be great. You know, I think it's a a little bit harder to have to have them fill out a form every day. But if they start to notice something is unusual with them, then they need to let you know. For staff who may come in only occasionally, if they're going to come in the office, I think in that case, you could say to them, hey, we just want you to fill out a checklist, make sure you're feeling okay, right? One thing you want to be careful of is you're not discriminating. So you need to be very careful that you're not providing services to one group, not another, and that you're not treating one group better than another. Say, what do you mean when you're talking about one group versus the other? Who's the one group? Who's the other group? So we'll talk about this more on our vaccine podcast, but um, so I don't want to get too deep into it. But when it comes to people who are vaccinated or not vaccinated, you can't be offering one services to one person and then one certain, and that's another set of services to another. What you can do is you can mitigate risks of, um, and, and you can uh, make the office safe by saying, okay, we're going to offer the same amount of services, but we are going to require certain precautions. If you've been under the weather, you have illness, or if you have not been vaccinated, we might say you need to wear a mask or someone who doesn't need to be vaccinated doesn't. You're still offering the same services. You're still welcome to come in. You're still welcome to get therapy. You're still welcome to get services. You're not differentiating the services that are being provided. You're just saying there's certain regulations or protocols you're putting into place depending on the person's situation. And that's true for your staff too. You need to be careful that you're not treating your vaccinated staff differently than your unvaccinated staff. You, know, you need to be careful that you're not making um, one set of rules for one set of staff. You know, For example, the people who work in the office every day and the people who don't work in the office every day. Right. You can take precautions. You just can't take actions that would otherwise be discriminatory. Yeah. The other thing that I'm thinking about as we're having this conversation is that 
office safety requires everybody's participation. So right now you hear us talking a lot about people who are practice owners, and it is the practice owner's responsibility to create the policies and procedures that you're going to disseminate to your staff. And you're going to be the one to create the policies and procedures for clients. And your clinicians might be the ones disseminating that information to them, right? But it requires everybody's participation. It requires your clients to follow the policies, whether that means not using the waiting room, whether that means sanitizing when they come in, whether that means self-disclosing if they're not feeling well, right? It requires your staff to follow the hand-washing guidelines that you might have in place or sanitizing guidelines. So everybody really has to come together and work together in order to maintain the safety of the office to the best of your ability, understanding that there's still going to be some risk inherent in going back to the office. Right. You also now, on in addition, again, and what, what, what Melissa is saying about risk is you also need to have protocols for what happens if there is something that happens, okay? If someone does come into your office and later on contacts you and says, I have COVID, you need to have certain procedures in place, okay? Like, what's going to happen next? You can't be at that moment then trying to figure out, oh, my God, how are we going to handle this? That's the worst thing you do because the reality is when bad news like that comes, people panic. You need to put, set a policy and procedures in place so that you say, okay, this is our policy. We knew this might happen. Here's how we're going to handle it, right? You know, one thing you can say is that someone says, I think I was exposed to COVID prior to coming to the office. And I came in the office. Okay, um, you know, go talk to your primary care. See if they can get a COVID test. If it's a if it's a positive test, at that point, then you need to do uh, an analysis to see who was in the office, who had exposure to them, right? At that time, when they were in the office, when did it happen? You're going to have to kind of go back and figure all this out, right? But having that policy in place that says, okay, so we now can have a list, let's say a written list of who came in the office today, right? A lot of practices are doing that for that reason. When a client comes in, they sign in now, right? Why? Because we now know a list of, on this day, who was in the office today, right? I know of a couple practices who are even having their staff do that. You're going to come in the office today. I need you to sign this for, you know, not a form, but just a, hey, I'm in the office today. Sign, right? So that way, if there's some sort of exposure, I go to that list. I know exactly who was in the office today, right? There are other practices I know um, who apply that to any visitor, any visitor in the office, even the guy who comes in to drop off your package. You know, when he brings you the package, you, hey, sign for this. Great. Just sign this to let me know, you know, that you were in the office today. Great. I'm John, the UPS man. Okay, great. And kind of like some restaurants have been doing, right? You mm-hmm. go eat at the yeah. restaurant. You've got to sign in for your party. Give mm-hmm. them their information. And that's why they're doing it, right? Because they're trying to create a contact tracing list. So that if God forbid something happens, you can go back and say to those people, you may have been exposed. You might want to get tested. And that's the part of your plan, Right. If there's exposure, if someone does say, I was exposed, I've now been diagnosed with COVID, you now have a list of people who were in the office at that time. Now, there are some exceptions, so you don't have to get too crazy, right? If someone came in early in the morning, like at 9 a.m., and someone wasn't there in your office until, let's say, 8 p.m., working with a client, and they had no other contact with anyone else related to the person who was in at 9 a.m., is there a risk of exposure? It's probably lower. But you still want to make sure that, you know, hey, you just might want to get tested. You, you're still making sure that that, that that protocol is in place. So there's a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. And, and your responsibility level might, um, might depend on your position at the office, right? If you are working 
for a group practice, if you are working at a mental health agency, your job is to follow the the guidelines at your practice. Um, you're the practice owner. There's obviously some more that you have to think about, some more documenting in terms of the creation of those policies and procedures. But all of these things are things that you really want to be considering as you're going back to the office. Also, if you're the practice owner, you have to make sure that you have the supplies needed in the office, whether that's masks or hand sanitizer, or cleaning supplies, making sure that all of those things that your staff need are in stock. Correct. Exactly. You know, the best way I can see people feeling, feeling like this, oh my God, this is so overwhelming. It really doesn't have to be. The goal here is just, you need to think as, as you open up your office, okay, what are the points of contact people are going to have? How do we minimize exposure in those points of contact? What are steps we have to take? Mask, you know, uh, rules, hand sanitization rules, notification rules, right? Those are, I think, mostly everything, the steps you would take would fall underneath those categories, right? The thing is, and why this is important is that it's going to allow you to continue to keep the office open. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing to think about is that if you're listening going, oh my gosh, this sounds so overwhelming. I don't know where to begin. I'm not sure exactly what to include, even though. Um, I just heard what you just said, but I'm still feeling confused uh, and it just feels like too much. There are definitely ways that you can go about getting support to create your policies and procedures. For mm -hmm. one, you can definitely work with an attorney or reach out to your attorney. Um, there are some great forms going around that people have shared, like the APA yep. has some great documents floating around. Mm -hmm. um, I know some other consultants have shared what they're using. So if you need some guidance in that area. There are some good resources that are out there right now. Um, but just know that if you feel really confused and conflicted and aren't really sure how to do this on your own, as always, we want to make sure that you're reaching out to get the help that you need. Yeah. You know, and generally a lot of states, I won't say most, I can't, I can't speak for most states, but I know a lot of states, um, even the federal government, the CDC have all issued guidelines. Um, and um, because every state wants to ensure that businesses succeed, a lot of states, Maryland does this. Um, they have resources on their websites, their state websites, to kind of help business owners kind of figure some of this out. Absolutely. Um, if there's an attorney you can consult with who does business, business law, who helps with um, things regarding a practice in terms of policy procedures, that's a great, great bet. Oftentimes, and I don't often say this, but oftentimes, even talking to your fellow practitioners on your different um, social media groups, Facebook groups, whatever it is you're in, see what other people are doing. Right. I guarantee you at least one or two people are going to be able to say, oh, we've done this, this, this and this. And those are probably good places for you to start. This is the one time we'll say that. That's the one time I'll say that. Most of the time, people are always well-meaning, but there's a lot of misinformation. It's like that game of telephone, right? Where you, one person says one thing and by the time it gets to the other, the, the last person, it's like completely different sentence. Most of the time, I find that's the case. In this case, you know, see what people are saying, see what people are doing. Yeah. And go to organizations for your profession. Look at what the NASW is saying. If you're a social worker, look and see what the ACA is saying or the APA. Also make sure that you're going to those sources because some of them have outlined some guidelines for your profession. Yeah. And the most important thing, and this is true if you run any sort of group practice with any sort of extra clinician besides just yourself, is the same rule that applies for if you put policies and procedures and you put employee handbook in place. The same rule applies to those that applies to this. And that is that they're only as good as your 
policies are as long as you are uh, enforcing them. So yes. if you're not enforcing them, then what good are they? They're doing nothing, no good for you. So you need to make sure your staff is abiding by these rules, these things. Yeah. And that's a really important, that's a really important point that you're making. It's thinking, it's making me think about an experience that I had during the pandemic where there's an organization that had a policy and procedure in place. It was communicated to everybody. This is what everybody is supposed to do. But at the end of the day, there was an experience I had where I found out that they were not actually enforcing it. Um, and I wasn't feeling very happy in that moment. Wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, the intention was to keep people safe. But in fact, people can't be safe if those, if their staff, you know, an organization's staff aren't implementing those practices. So that's also a really important piece. Correct. Yeah. So just do a quick check-in with yourself right now as you're listening to this. Some of you might be like, you know what? If I work in an agency, I can I can do that. That's pretty easy to just follow the guidelines in place. Sure. If you're the practice owner, check in with yourself how to see how are you feeling right now? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Or are you feeling like, you know what? That's totally doable and manageable. I got that. I'm ready to do what I have to do. So just kind of do a check-in mm-hmm. with yourself as we're wrapping up here. But know that you have some things to think about as you're preparing to go back to the office. Right, exactly. And, you know, look, I know this this stuff is, seems overwhelming, like I've already said, okay? Nobody really is sure what's the best, you know, steps here. Your goal here is just to remediate, to try to make your office as safe as possible. And if things aren't working or you need to change it up, then that's okay. You adapt. You may have to, like six months from now or three months from now, make some changes. Um, depending on what the circumstances on the ground is is happening. Any other questions for you, Melissa? I think we said what we need to say. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps up today's discussion. Um, I hope that you found it interesting and useful. As always, we are grateful for you listening. We hope that um, if you have any questions, um, if you have comments, um, if you have any anecdotes yourself or any suggestions yourself, please do reach out to us on our Facebook page or via um, the web. And um, we thank you and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.